Hello, my name is John Maidendorf. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Christian Reform Church, and it's my privilege to lead you in this service of the word today. Due to the threat of the COVID-19 pandemic, we're doing things a little bit differently. Following the advice of health experts and the recommendations of the government, we have suspended our regular worship services and are encouraging our members to worship together on Sundays in smaller gatherings, whether as an individual, household, family, or small group. More information can be found on our church website, ccrc.on.ca. Please make every effort to keep each other safe by practicing the proper hygiene and social distancing encouraged by medical professionals and pray that the spread of this virus may quickly be stopped so that we may enjoy the privilege of each other's fellowship again soon. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 1 through 42. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here to keep drawing water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or why are you talking with her? 
Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, we began this season of Lent with the story of the temptation of our Lord in the wilderness, with the powerful reminder that there are times in our lives when the Holy Spirit leads us into the wilderness. The Greek word for wilderness in that story is eremos, which is variously translated in the New Testament as wilderness or desert, but the word itself actually means lonely, solitary, or alone. To follow the Spirit's leading into Eremos, into the wilderness, is to follow God in solitude, to follow God in the times when we are alone. Times of solitude are important for our spiritual development. There are many stories throughout the scriptures that reinforce this truth. Our Lord goes alone into the wilderness, led by the Spirit to confront the temptations of the devil. God appears to Abraham, Moses, Gideon, Elijah, Mary, and many others when they are alone. And Jesus, often over the course of his ministry, seeks out solitude for prayer. Solitude offers us intentional time of reflection, rest, and prayer. But even as our Lord calls us to the Eremos, to the place of solitude, to the desert place, to the wilderness, we remember the words of our Creator. It is not good for man to be alone. Times of solitude are important, but we are created as social beings, created for community, created to live our lives most fully in relationship with both God and each other. Which means that being alone is vastly different from being lonely. In these trying times of global pandemic, when we are encouraged to implement strict practices of social distance, it's important for us to remember that there are many in our society, even in our neighborhoods, who suffer not only social distance, but social isolation, who suffer 
loneliness. Many experts testify that loneliness has become something of a pandemic in modern societies. But we don't need to turn to the experts to know this because we feel it ourselves. Our increasingly mobile, digital, and globalized world leaves us rootless and transient, devoid of meaningful human connection. Our slavish submission to the economy fills our lives with so much busyness that we have no time for rituals of rest and of fellowship. And the unyielding demands of the schedule further fracture our lives. Lack of meaningful community makes us anxious, lonely, fearful, and prone to ideology. We become enamored with personalities on YouTube and Instagram, drawing our values and principles from ideological celebrities. And as a result, we feel increasingly distant from those around us as what we have in common becomes more and more superficial. In the middle of conversations, we check our phones to see if anybody else might be trying to get a hold of us. We feel lonely even when we are surrounded by the people who love us. If human beings are created for community, there is perhaps no affliction more detrimental to overall well-being than loneliness, which destroys people completely, heart and soul, mind and body. In our scripture passage for today, Jesus has a chance encounter with a woman at Jacob's well. We are not given her name, but from the text there is much that we can learn about her. This woman is a Samaritan, a people group who lived in the heart of Palestine, sandwiched between Judea to the south and Galilee to the north. The Jews of Judea and Galilee had no great love for the Samaritans, who they viewed as a mongrel race, the result of intermarriage between Israelites and the surrounding nations, the Canaanites, Moabites, Edomites, and Arameans. The Jews of Judea and Galilee viewed the Samaritans as practicing an idolatrous and blasphemous corruption of true religion, worshiping at high places far from the temple in Jerusalem, reading corrupted versions of the Torah. And so, because of economic and social isolation, the Samaritans were largely seen as lazy, offensive, uncivilized, and foreign. They were other. Good Jews avoided Samaritans at all costs, even going as far as to take an extra week to travel from Judea to Galilee just to avoid Samaria. Jesus, as a Jew, talking with a Samaritan would have been taboo in and of itself. But Jesus breaks another taboo here as well, because in Jesus' society, it was considered improper for a man to speak with a woman he did not know in public. And this is not just any woman. In ancient society, and many societies today where people do not have access to running water, it is common for women to gather, uh, to gather water at dawn and at dusk, not in the heat of the day. And so the fact that this woman is coming to the well at noon alone tells us that she was shunned, a shunned woman, 
a pariah, effectively excommunicated from her community. Over the course of their conversation, we learn that she has been married five times and the man with whom she currently lives is not her husband. Jesus is breaking many societal rules here. And traditionally, when this passage is preached, the pastor might go from here to talk about how the grace in this passage is that despite this woman's wickedness, despite her sexual impropriety and marital infidelity, despite her sin, Jesus shows her grace and her life is transformed, that Jesus can save even a sinner like her, even an unfaithful serial divorcee. But that reading does a grave injustice to this woman, and to this story, which nowhere speaks of this woman as a sinner or of her life situation as a result of her sin. This story never associates divorce with this poor woman, and even if it is implied, in ancient Jewish society, a woman could not divorce her husband. Only men had the power to demand a divorce. So what the Apostle John presents us with in this story is not an unfaithful, promiscuous woman who is saved by God's overwhelming grace. The Apostle rather introduces her as a woman who has experienced immense suffering in her life. She has been married to five men, all of whom either died or rejected her effectively abandoning her, passed along from family to family to family. And after that many unsuccessful marriages, her community probably came to see her as cursed. Her current living situation is probably not a case of cohabitation. She's probably been forced, because of her desperate situation, to become a concubine, a woman who is neither wife nor prostitute, but something in between, used for her body, with little standing or respect in society. This woman is a pariah not because of her sin, but because of her suffering. And her community has responded to this suffering, not with love and care and support, but with rejection, with shame, and with judgment, with social isolation. She is alone. But the response of Jesus to this woman is not one of rejection, condemnation, or judgment. Jesus offers her living water in the wilderness of Samaria, the Holy Spirit in the midst of her own wilderness of loneliness and social isolation. In the face of rejection by her community, in the face of a community that considers her cursed, Jesus offers her communion with the Creator so that she may be blessed with eternal life. 
And this blessing is not only for her, but it becomes in her a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And she becomes an evangelist, preaching the gospel of the good news to the community that had rejected her, to the very people that had scorned her, offering them the gift of God's love in Christ Jesus. It shouldn't escape us that this story comes right after Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. And the contrast could not be more striking. In Nicodemus, we have a religious leader, a theologically trained Pharisee, a wealthy man, a pious Jew. But he comes to Jesus in secret, under the cover of darkness, asking abruptly literal questions, and he leaves doubting. But in this story, we have a poor woman, a Samaritan, an outsider, spurned by her community, who comes to Jesus in public, in broad daylight, asking insightful and piercing questions, and she leaves believing and proclaiming the gospel even to those who caused her suffering. People of God, modern society can often be an Eremos, a lonely place, a wilderness. And in our Eremos of busyness, of fractured relationships, of demanding schedules, it's important for us to remember that God offers this living water to us as well. To us, even in our loneliness, even in our shame, even in our suffering, Jesus offers the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus offers personal relationship with the Creator. Jesus offers the hope of the promise of eternal life. Our Lord meets us where we are, enters into communion with us, to transform us, to be vessels of his grace and love in this world. And this is vital for us to remember in these trying times, when so many are driven by sinful impulse to alarmist panic, xenophobic tribalism, and selfish greed we must remember that we worship the God who makes streams of living water spring up in the desert, who causes water to flow from the rock, who causes life to flourish, even in the lonely places, even in the wilderness, even in the Eremos. And this gift of living water, this gift of the Holy Spirit, is not for us alone. The Holy Spirit becomes in us a spring of water welling up to eternal life that pours out to those around us to declare to the world in our words and in our deeds the everlasting love of our covenant God. And so as we respond to this pandemic, let us be responsible in protecting the vulnerable in our communities from unnecessary risk. But let us also be attentive 
so that we do not allow social distance to become social isolation. Maybe this can be an opportunity for us to slow down, take a break from the busyness of life, and learn to love one another as God intends. Let us take this time to care for our neighbors with the love of God as image bearers who reflect his divine nature, meeting them in their suffering with love and with grace. May God grant us all the grace to be living water in the wilderness so that all the world may know the goodness of our God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.